You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures, and still in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that we may overcome all carnal desires, entering upon a spiritual life, and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and to you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your all holy, gracious, and life and spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here. Here we are for the solemnity of the holy and great Pentecost. I can't believe that we're already here. uh, Yeah, you got to blink your eyes and then, well, liturgically, we're always here. Well, yeah, okay. They get used point. to it, sure. you know? Sure, but it's been like almost 50 days since Easter. Well, that's because you're, 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 you're just caught in a linear, linear uh, <laughs> mindset. You got to rise above the linear mindset into the eternal day of the Lord, and then the fire of the Holy Spirit will be enkindled. Ooh. Yeah. Here we that, sounds, that sounds cosmic, as somebody yeah. I know likes to say. We're here. It was this year. This year uh, uh, M. No, is year C. We're in year C. Solemnity of Pentecost. But there's lots of options going on, right? Am I right, Annie? Yeah, so- and we're actually the the readings that we're going to cover today. I think are the normal normal Pentecost readings. Well, I would say the normal would probably be what the church has been doing for two thousand years. But this is according to the um the uh the uh cycle of readings appointed by um pope paul the sixth and the liturgical mm-hmm. commission which uh came up with the Novus Ordo. i won't make comments about that today though let's just go ahead and get into the biblical texts which are so good it is it's the bible you can't lose bible. john chapter 20 Verse yep. 19 through 23 is our gospel reading, right, Annie? That is correct. John chapter 20, 19 to 23. Give us our biblical text. Go ahead. Of course, our first reading, I think it goes without saying, is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Our psalm this weekend is Psalm 104, and the epistle will be from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 12, and we will be reading verses 3 through 7, and then verses 12 and 13. I think we might catch those verses in between too, but let's just see what happens, okay? We'll see what happens. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll get started. Um, We're going to go in chronological order once again, and so we're going to start with the gospel today. So John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. Turn there in your Bibles. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Mm-hmm. Now, this is actually a reading that we had a gospel passage, I believe, for the, uh, the second Sunday of Easter in year C. I don't know if it's uh, if it's a regular Easter season gospel passage. I can't really recall, but um, I, so. we, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 
well, given the day that it happens, I suppose. So could you just remind us, even though we have been through this a little bit, um, where and, and when this is happening? Sure, sure. And so then the, also, the, yeah. how is this different from Acts chapter two that we're going to read here in a little bit? Um, uh, this is a good question. So which one do you want to answer first, Annie? Uh, but let's do the context first. All right. So obviously we're on the day of the resurrection here in John chapter 20. We are on that first day of the resurrection, right? Look at chapter 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it's still dark. Okay. And then verse 19 on the evening of that day. So we, this is Pascha. Yes. We've come full circle now, 50 days. And here we are back on that first day on the evening. And you see liturgically how beautiful this is. We've been wow. living in this day of the resurrection now for this entire season and the culmination of all of this comes about now beautifully um, on Pentecost. Um, liturgically, uh, Pentecost, Pascha, Easter, the resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit are one reality. And one reality now revealed to us over these 50 days. So we can certainly talk about Pentecost as the purpose of the resurrection, the end of the resurrection, the goal of the resurrection, mm. that which for which the resurrection happened. And so here we are now liturgically recalling this first evening and the first day of the week when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Well, it doesn't say exactly where they were, but we know where they were, which is in the upper room. You know, we oftentimes think of the upper room in regard in, in relationship to what event? The Last the Supper. Last Supper. Yeah. But we don't realize that, well, that uh, the apostles remained there. That is the traditional place where they remained all the way through, except going up to Galilee, of course, but all the way through this whole season where the gift of the Holy Spirit took place, the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost itself. In fact, when we go to Jerusalem and visit the holy sites, the, we commemorate there we, in, our, in our studies mostly this great feast of Pentecost, which is the greatest of the gifts that's taken place there. It is an area, I'm going to pull up on the screen here, you're going to see Jerusalem, and you'll see the upper room there in the Essene quarter. And it was there in the Essene quarter that Jesus and his apostles liked to hang out, most likely because they themselves had an affinity with, uh, uh, you know, friendship with the Essenes. And there, that's where John's, John's house was. And you can go there today when we go with the Institute of Catholic Culture on pilgrimage there. We go and see some of the, the mikvah baths, the places where the, where the Jews would, would wash themselves. And in this area, there's tons of them. There's so many mikvah baths. You would think like, oh, they discovered a mikvah? Oh, that's big time archaeological dig stuff. Well, guess what? You can actually go walk in the hillside, in the field right there in the Essene Quarter. And there's literally mikvah baths from the time of Christ, like with weeds growing in them. Wow. It's amazing. So anyways, yes, this is up in the Essene quarter there. That's where they remained. Doors locked for fear of the Jews. Why? Because they thought, well, they killed Jesus. They're coming after us next, you know, mm -hmm. and Jesus stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. That's your geographical and kind of where we're at in the gospel context. Okay. And well, he doesn't just say, peace be with you. He goes on to say, receive the Holy Spirit as he breathes on them. So how is this, or is it, I mean, other than the timing, of course, any different from what happens at Pentecost? Yeah, good. I'm going to, I'm going to tackle that, Annie, but I do want to go, I'm going to pull my catechism out really fast because I've been using this quotation a few times in some of our pregame discussions. Maybe I've even used it here. I'm in the paragraph 1085, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, regarding the liturgy, because I want to go back to this initial point we were making regarding why is it that in the gospel reading, we're going back to the day of the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to come down here about halfway through this paragraph of 1085. It says, his Paschal mystery is a real event that occurred in our history. But it is unique. All their events happen once and then they pass away, swallowed up in the past because by his death, I'm sorry, swallowed up in the past. The paschal mystery of Christ, by contrast, cannot remain only in the past because by his death, he destroyed death and all that Christ is, all that he did and suffered for all men participates in the divine eternity. And so it transcends all time while being made present to them all. 
the event of the cross and the resurrection abide and draw everything toward life. So uh, liturgically, we understand this unity of the season of Pascha now culminating in Pentecost as this, this, this um, presence of the Lord uh, in, in, or the drawing up of our humanity into the eternal day of the Lord. It's one reality of what took place then over a, a day, right, from the resurrection to the evening of the first day when Jesus appears was, is mm -hmm. now applied liturgically across this whole time period culminating so cool. now in Pentecost as one event, one reality in which Jesus does something to our humanity. Mm -hmm. And what does he do to our humanity? He breathes the Holy Spirit into us. And this is very beautiful. So pay attention. The gift of the Holy Spirit breathed into us. Do not approach. Listen, this passage primarily is used in apologetics. Okay. And that is in defense of the, what the church teaches in regards to the ability of a priest to hear confession and forgive sins. But this, my brothers and sisters, is only one small aspect of the text, which is the result of the most important aspect of the text, which is this breathing in of God's life. And it's not the first time it's happened, is it? When's the first time that God breathed into man his, the breath of his life, Annie? I would say in Genesis. The book of Genesis. Go back to very quickly. Genesis chapter Genesis, uh, chapter two, yeah, uh, verse seven, Genesis two, seven, then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So let me ask you a question, Annie, if God breathing into man gives him the power to forgive sins, could Adam and Eve forgive sins? Yeah, I think Adam was the first priest. Was mm. he not? Well, but you should say, well, but the fall hasn't taken place yet. So they wouldn't need to. Well, okay, they, that's yes, a good point. But yeah. this breaks, it starts to, starts to break apart uh, our common kind of superficial understanding by which most people say this. Well, Jesus breathed the power of the forgiveness of sins into the apostles so that now they have this power within them in order to do this thing. Well, yes and no. They have the power within them to do this thing because God is in them. Hmm. And when God is within us, sin is cast out. Yes? Yeah. So the power which we talk about in the church, which a priest has to forgive sins, is the presence of the gift of God within him acting. Wow. And we can apply that then to Adam before the fall. Do you know that St. Ephraim says that if Adam and Eve, when the Lord walked in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter three, if when they heard the Lord walking, they'd come forth confessing their sins, the Lord would have forgiven them hmm. and they would have remained in paradise. But instead, they began blaming one another, right? the serpent, the woman, you saw, right? that they refused to admit what they, done, they had done. And therefore, there was no opportunity for restoration relationship. Hmm. Okay. The gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of blessing of creation, which Adam and Eve were to be given, right? So they would bless creation and fill it with God's life is two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Because where God's life is, sin death separation from god what what is sin is separation from the lord right it's a lack of god's life within us so when god's life is within us bingo the problem is solved so i want to just i want to step back from this kind of kind of concept which i think most catholics have which is which is the the magic power that the priest has mm -hmm. and come back to who god is yeah and then we can understand what sin is and then we can understand how sin is destroyed, how it's cast out by the presence of the Lord. So now when, the, when Jesus breathes his breath into the apostles, there is a, a newness of life which is created within them, a new mode of existence, which is God's way of life. And God's way of life casts out sin. Hmm. Yeah? 
not in some juridical way, but in some ontological way. Do you see the difference yeah. there? There's the difference. Yeah. We, we think jurisdiction, we should think, we should think about, about existence itself. Do you see the difference? Yeah, well, I think about um, my children being baptized. I've had my children baptized in the old right, and part of it is the priest breathes on the baby. Yeah, because casting out the sin—that's incredible. Yes. Because be, why? Because the priest was first breathed on by God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And filled with this gift by which he's meant to give to others. Now, you asked a question. It was Whoa. about what was if there is a difference between this reception of the holy spirit and what happens in acts there's, chapter two there's your question my brothers and sisters what's your answer what in the world's going on if they received the gift of the holy spirit uh, on the first day of the resurrection then what happened did it like wear off after 50 days <laughs> you know holy spirit got bored needed to be called back i'm going to share like with you three quotations annie from the church fathers because when you come to moments like this it's always good to turn to the fathers to help us understand the first one from blessed augustine but the reason why after his resurrection he both gave the holy spirit first on earth and afterwards sent him from heaven right this one and then pentecost right is in my judgment this that love is shed abroad in our hearts by that gift itself, whereby we love God and our neighbors, according to those two commandments on which hang all of the law and the prophets. And Jesus Christ signified this by giving them the Holy Spirit once on earth because of the love of our neighbor and second on he in heaven because of the love of God. Now, Augustine's having a lot of fun here, okay? He's, he's interpreting, which, which is beautiful, right? He's, he's, a he's allowing himself to accept the gift a double gift. I mean, why not? You a know, double portion. a Absolutely. double portion. Why not? How can we understand it? Then he then applies it to this love of man and love of God. Nice for Augustine. That's a nice insight. We're going to go even further. St. Cyril of Alexandria. After dignifying the holy apostles with a glorious distinction of the apostleship and appointing them ministers and priests of the divine altar, as I have just said, he at once sanctifies them by promising his spirit to them through the outward sign of his breath, that we might be fully convinced that the Holy Spirit is not alien to the Son, but consubstantial with him, and through him proceeding from the Father. He shows that the gift of the Spirit necessarily attends those who are ordained by him to be apostles of God. And why? Because they could have done nothing pleasing to God and could not have triumphed over the snares of sin if they had not been clothed the power from on high and been transformed into something other than they were before. Jesus consecrates by actual sanctification, making people partakers of his nature through participation in the spirit and in some sort strengthening the nature of humanity into a power and glory that is superhuman. And I'm going to conclude then with St. Cyril of Jerusalem. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, now St. Cyril of Jerusalem. This was the second time he breathed on man, his first breath having been stifled through the willful sins, through our willful sins in Genesis chapter two. But though he bestowed his grace then, he was to lavish it yet more bountifully. And he says to them, I am ready to give it even now, but the vessel cannot yet hold it. For a while, therefore, receive as much grace as you can bear and look forward for yet more. But stay in the city until you're clothed with the power from on high. Receive it in part now. Then you shall wear it in its fullness. For the one who receives often possesses only a part of the gift, but the one who is clothed completely enfolded by his, is enfolded by his robe. Now, again, here's St. Cyril of Jerusalem having a little fun with St. Augustine looking at the text going, wow, and allowing himself to dream in interpretation of the text to say something that is fundamentally important to us. And that is that the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sharing of God's life is a revelation of who God is himself. God is 
love. love. And love is the sharing of our life with the beloved. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now you don't go to your spouse and say to your spouse, spouse, I love you, period. And, and then that's it. The rest of your life. Yep. No, you show your spouse in a hundred thousand ways your love for them, don't you? I so in so. every yeah. time which Jesus encountered his, his disciples, the same reality is taking place that took place say, first in the day of the resurrection in which he filled his, our, our, our human nature with his divine life, the life of the resurrection. Again, when he appeared to the apostles and breathed into our human nature, this gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, when he showers in the form of fire, the Holy Spirit upon the apostles in the upper room at Pentecost, the same that happens when I was ordained a priest, the same that happens when you are baptized, the same that happens every time you receive Holy Communion, the same that happens every time you go to Holy Confession. It is God saying, I love you and sharing his life in that moment with us. And when that happens in this vessel comes alive in this new way, this way which is God's way of life, the life of the Holy Trinity, which is why the church, the communion of God among men, is a necessary outpouring, a necessary continuance of, a flowering of what has just taken place. What just happened when God breathes his life into us, puts us into the communion of the Holy Trinity. And every single other person who this happens to is suddenly plunged into this communion. And that communion is the church. Do you see how important it is to get back to a theocentric understanding of the mysteries of God so that the faith doesn't become magic formulas or positive law? Why do you do this as a Catholic? That's because I have to. You do it because you are living God's life and it's true first about God and now it's true about you. Annie, that's my point. And I'm going to calm down. I mean, you know, just to to look at the psalm just quickly where it says, you know, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. And that's happening constantly. If you, let me go back even one sentence earlier in the Psalm. We're in, we're in Psalm 104. Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. This word renew is critically important. This newness of life is St. Paul talks about in Romans chapter six. You've been given a newness of life in which we walk because of our baptism. And then the Psalms goes on. If you take away their breath, uh, the ruach, the spirit, the wind, same word in Hebrew, by the way. Hmm. If you take away their breath, they perish and return to their dust. Why? Because this breath I have, this wind blowing, is the life of God within me. You take away their breath and they perish. It's our life within us. And they return to their dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. Listen to St. Basil the Great on this. He says, resurrection from the dead is accomplished by the operation of the spirit. Because the spirit is alive and where the spirit is, death can't be. You send forth your spirit and they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. If creation means the conversion of sinners to a better way of life, the scripture often understands it in this way. For example, the words of Paul, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the renewal of this earthly life and changing of our earthly passionate life into heavenly citizenship, then we should know that our souls attain such a high degree of exaltation through the spirit. You have been given a gift, Christians. You have been anointed with the spirit. You've been given a newness of life. You have been recreated. And of course, created things act in certain ways according to their mode of existence. I said this before, dogs do doggy kind of stuff. Men do man kind of stuff. But the sons of God do sons of God kind of stuff. Divine stuff like raising people from the dead through the waters of holy baptism and feeding people with the flesh of God through the Holy Eucharist, this and forgiving us sins. This is what it looks like to be operating on the level of God. 
And this is what he has given to each and every member of our community. And this is what he's going to talk about, by the way, in the epistle today. Yeah. But let's get to the first reading first. Is that all right? The, the, we, how many readings do we have? We, we've been reading readings the whole time. All right, go ahead. Well, do you want to read about yes, Acts chapter two. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Why not? Why not? It's, you know, just what Let's we're... do it. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded, and in amazement, they asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each of us hear them in his native language? We are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. What a scene. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't realize how uh, the dispersion of the, of the, in the diaspora of the Jews reached so far. Yeah. All these communities that were living throughout the entire Roman empire and uh um of course they were called by jewish law if all possible to return to jerusalem three times each year yes passover pentecost and uh feast of tabernacles and so um and so this was one of the great feasts of the jews in which the place was you know i don't know some of you have been to jerusalem with me and um, uh, it's not that big. Yeah. And it was smaller then. The place would have been an absolute mayhem. People everywhere. Yeah. And so this is one of the times. And you see all these people that are gathered together there. So, okay. Yeah. What do we need to talk about? Okay. So first of all, just Tell us a little bit more about this Jewish feast of Pentecost on which this sure. is happening. There's lots to, there's, there's certainly lots to look at here, uh, Annie. Uh, we could go back, we'll go back to a couple passages. Uh, but first, I want to recommend to all of you a talk I did at the Institute of Catholic Culture on the Feast of the Ascension. It's there in that study, I think it's very helpful because it ties the whole thing together to understand the liturgical cycle of the Jews, which has taken place. And, and, and that liturgical cycle comes to its fulfillment here on the Feast of Pentecost, but it began not today. That's how we normally as Catholics, unfortunately, really unfortunate. And we, that is, we celebrate feasts for their day. Mm. Today is the day of Pentecost. No, we are culminating the entire Pentecost season. In fact, in fact, I'm going to grab a book. Take a look at this. In our Byzantine tradition, we have a book called the Pentecostarion. It has all of the liturgical chanting and text, which will be chanted all the way through the Pentecost season, starting. Cool. You're gonna like this. Starting now in the book. If you're gonna choose a piece of art for the Pentecostarion, you're gonna choose the upper room on Pentecost, right? Right. No, it's the resurrection. Because the Ooh. book begins on the day of the resurrection and takes us all the way up through Pentecost. So the, 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 you say, well, I, you don't know anything about the Byzantine tradition. Well, that's fine. But the point is liturgically is true in the East and the West. And that is this whole season is a season of the 50 days. Yeah. Yeah. The season of the 50 days, which is culminating on the great and final day of the feast, 
but which began back at the beginning on the day of the resurrection, which for the Jews was the day of the first fruits. Um, and, and so what happened? Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and on that first Easter day was for the, for the Jews a special feast which began the counting of the 50 days. This is not made up by the Christians. This is something which is already in place. And that is on the day of the resurrection, a bundle of barley. Now, barley, this is, you have to realize that the feasts of the Jews were all originally natural cycle feasts, harvest feasts. Yeah. They looked around, they saw creation, and they gave glory to God for the gift that they were receiving. And the first gift of the, of the barley coming up, because the barley is the first thing that grows, the first thing that pops out of the ground really fast, right? Mm -hmm. They would cut a sheaf of it down and they would wave it before the Lord, offering it in sacrifice on the first day of Pentecost. The mm -hmm. first day of Pentecost being the day of the resurrection, Pascha, Easter. Wow. So when Jesus rose from the dead, you realize what's going on in Jerusalem. They're celebrating a feast on that day. And it was the first fruits that came out of the ground, cut it down, give it back to the Lord to say, thank you, Jesus. Then they counted 50 days. And what happened during that 50 days? Well, guess what? I live in California and it's really beautiful because on Easter, right around Easter time, it's always super green out here in the fields because the, the rains have come, the sun came out, it warmed up and all of a sudden came blowing out of the ground all the all the grasses right well that's what they cut down and they would offer that to the lord but now if you go outside right now and you look around it's not green out here in california anymore it's very golden brown it's all dry now because the rains have stopped and all that wheat has now dried and now it's ready for harvest yes so the first green offering but now 50 days later now it's time for the full tanking in of the wheat harvest. And this was the Feast of Pentecost, the cutting down of all of the fields, taking the full harvest. And now what did they do? They not only brought before the Lord this bundle of wheat or bundle of barley, they brought the fullness of that. They baked the wheat into loaves of bread. Hmm. And they brought those loaves on the Feast of Pentecost and just like they had waved the sheaf of barley, now they wave the loaves of bread before the Lord, giving it as an offering back to God for all of the daily bread and sustenance they received. So originally a harvest festival. Yeah. And we can go back and see this now in Exodus chapter 23. Let's go back there. Exodus chapter 23. <coughs> Excuse me. Here you go. Verse 14. Chapter 23, verse 14. Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat the unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it, you came out of Egypt, right? So there's Passover. None shall appear before me empty handed. And you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor. There's first fruits, right? At the beginning of the 50 days, right? Mm -hmm. of, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year. That's the feast of tabernacles. That's the, the, the harvest of the grapes and all of, all of that. The fruits of, of things come later in the year once all the fruits have matured, right? So three times in the year, you shall be appear before the Lord. That's all the Jews coming. That's why you saw all them coming, all these from all these different places and so forth. We can also look, by the way, at Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 23. Okay, you can read all of Leviticus 23 if you want. Uh, Numbers 28, I believe also. You could also look at Leviticus 16. We don't have to look at all of these things. The point is this. This is one of the harvest feasts of the Jews. Um, and always with all of the feasts on top of the harvest feast is then 
uh, the great works of the Lord that then get layered. So the feasts of the Jews, by the time they come to the New Testament, have been layered. There's the kind of harvest level, the natural level, but then there's also the divine intervention level. And that is, there's that on top of that harvest level, there's always a second meaning given to the feast. And the second meaning given here, now understanding Passover and unleavened bread as initially those first fruits, the barley coming out of the ground, 50 days later, Pentecost and the harvest of the wheat, then laid onto it is the Exodus layer, right? Yeah. The Passover of God and the newness of life, which is now given to them in their Exodus from Egypt. And then coming to Mount Sinai, commemorated 50 days later at Pentecost and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, how we're to then act, how we're to live in this newness of life. But then, of course, there's always another layer given, usually around the Babylonian exile or the Davidic kingdom. On top of these feasts, then is layered another layer of meaning, and that is the ultimate meaning and purpose of the feast is going to be in its in the Messianic kingdom. And we get a, just a taste of this in a passage we looked at last week, and that is Jeremiah 31. So go ahead and, and, and turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Your birthday. There you go. Exactly. Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 31. Go ahead and read that for us, Annie. All right. It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, and I showed myself their master, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which with, with which I will make the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So there you go. So here you got to put all of this now into this recipe, this liturgy recipe, which is going on in Jerusalem. Everyone's gone up to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. And what's on their mind? What are they feasting about? You and I are thinking, well, we're Christians. It's Pentecost and we're celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, upon the apostles. But this is not what they were thinking, nor should you be thinking that. What they were remembering and thinking were two things, and that was the harvest and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, right? That's what's in the fore from their mind. The Lord has told us how we are to live. And now it's in the midst of all of this contemplation of this gift in which the Lord sends down the Holy Spirit upon the apostles in the upper room, and by extension, the entire church, filling us up with this newness of life, because in addition to them contemplating what God did, they were also contemplating what God was going to do, namely, write his law upon their hearts. Their hearts would be inflamed with his law, so that they would know how to live again. And what is his law? What is, Annie, what is the greatest of the laws? Love. There it is. It's filled up with the love of God once again, which all of a sudden starts to tie in together the entire apostolic message of how we're to live our lives, is it not? Why Jesus came and said what he said. Because he's fulfilling Jeremiah 31, 31 and restoring us to God's original plan for us that we may live in the image and likeness of God who is love. Yes? Yeah. Okay. That's what I have to say. Um, we don't read it in, in the, uh, the reading for mass, but um, Dr. John Bergsma, the Bible scholar, yes. looks at Acts chapter 237 and, and says that when they were cut to the heart, that, nice. that that could be a, a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31. Absolutely. Yeah, ab absolutely. And look, it's not just Jeremiah 31, 31. What Jeremiah is talking about, and this is what I keep kind of trying to, hopefully we're going to break through and get this point across. What Jeremiah is talking about is restoration, a restoration to the original plan of God. 
which is why I'm, I'm allergic to the whole Pentecost is the, is the birthday of the Lord. I'm allergic to it because it, it builds in our mind an idea of kind of the invented Jesus, the invented church. Whereas what we need to understand is that what is happening on Pentecost and what happened in the upper room on the day of the resurrection is the same reality that happened in Genesis chapter two, when the Lord breathed into man the breath of life, giving us the possibility of being his sons and daughters, being in communion with him, being in communion with the life of the Trinity. Yeah, this is what happens when we're baptized into Christ. If we are baptized into Christ, if we've been made one with Christ, then we're putting communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit, an eternal communion. And this is the church. Okay. Can you also talk about why it is that the Holy Spirit would give them the ability to speak in different tongues? I mean, of all yeah. of the superpowers okay. that you could give to the apostles in that moment. Okay, there's, there's, there's much uh, hay made about this regarding a connection between what's going on here and uh, uh, Genesis chapter 11 <clears throat> and the Tower of Babel, Babel. and that mm -hmm. Pentecost is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. You know, the fathers of the church comment on this, and it's nice. It's, tr it's a good connection. It's true. But what is most, what is, why it's true is, the, for me, the more important thing, right? And that is the unity of mankind in God. Sin divides always. Why? Because God is one and he lives a life of, whole, of, of loving communion. Sin destroys that. That's what sin is. So we have definitions of sin. Think the opposite of God. That's what sin is. And God is one in a communion of persons. Sin destroys this, breaks it apart right? The presence of God reverses the breaking apart. So the Tower of Babel and the confusion of tongues is a, is a, is a, a beautiful, well, a sad manifestation, a great example. That's what I should have said. A great example of what sin does. And the gift of the Holy Spirit and the unity of man here in Pentecost is a beautiful example, a great example of what communion with God does. Yes, the tongues that are given the most the traditional interpretation of what happened on this day. And by the way, you can go back and listen to my series of talks called the um, lives of the apostles after the resurrection. I don't know what the title was, but it was something like that. The lives of the apostles after the resurrection. Okay. The most ancient interpretation of this gift was not that they were running around going, God, speaking in tongues which are nonsensical, quite the opposite. God doesn't give us nonsensical speech. He gives us a, a, a rational speech. And the gift which was given to the apostles, the ancient tradition says, was the gift of the language to which they were to be sent. St. Thomas to India would have received the language, the ability to speak, to the people he was going to evangelize. Yes. And all of the apostles then receiving this gift of language were able to speak in the language of these people that were gathered together in Jerusalem. Not nonsensical tongues, but rational tongues. A tongue in the this is what the this is what the use of this word is. In the old, in the ancient, in the old days, not even that long ago. You spoke of the tongue of a people. The, the, the word tongue was language. It was the same thing. Lingua, tongue. Yeah. Yeah? Language. It's the same related thing. So, so there you go, Annie. So can you also then talk about what happens in the rest of Acts chapter two that we don't get in this reading? Because it just seems like such an incredible story to kind of leave it out before we move on. Well, I'll tell you what, I can do that, but I want to just share with you two quotations, one from Pope St. Leo the Great and the other from St. John Chrysostom, looking at two aspects of this feast, which are pretty cool. Okay. Okay. I'm all about it. The first is from Pope St. Leo the Great. 
He says, to the Hebrew people now freed from Egypt, the law was given on Mount Sinai 50 days after the immolation of the Paschal Lamb. Similarly, after the Passion of Christ, in which the true Lamb of God was killed, just 50 days after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and the whole group of believers. Thus, the earnest Christian may easily perceive that the beginning of the old covenant were at the service of the beginning of the gospel, and that the same spirit who instituted the first established the second. Do you see this? Wow. The law written on stone has now become enfleshed. It's the same reality. It's just now come and taken root, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. St. John Chrysostom says, do you see the type? What is, what is this Pentecost? The time when the sickle was to be put to the harvest and the fruits to be gathered. So he's going to the harvest level now, right? Yeah. The time when the sickle was to be put to the harvest and the fruits to be gathered. Look at the reality now, how the time has come to ply the sickle of the word. The spirit, keen-edged, came down in place of the sickle. For hear the words of Christ. For hear the words of Christ. Lift up your eyes and see how the fields are ripe for the harvest. And again, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He himself taking our nature as the first fruits. See, Jesus rising from the dead. He's the first fruits, as St. Paul mm -hmm. says in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, which means there's more to come. And that's all of us. Mm. And the first fruits lifted up on high. And he himself, the first to, be, to ply the sickle. For this reason, he calls the word also the seed. And that is a great way, I think. Well, I do have one other quotation. And I want to share with you two other quotations that are cosmic. Cosmic? Yeah. They're going to go even further back, right? Wow. So we talked about the law on Sinai with St. Leo, St. Um, St. John Chrysostom, the harvest. Now St. Ephraim takes it even further back to paradise itself. Listen to him. Mm -hmm. When the blessed apostles were gathered together, notice his language, the gathering in of the harvest. Um were gathered together, the place shook, and the scent of paradise, having recognized its home, poured forth its perfume, delighting the heralds by whom the guests are instructed, and come to his banquet. Eagerly he awaits their arrival, and he, for he is the lover of mankind. It's so beautiful. So now, now St. Saint, Saint Ephraim says, not only the giving of the lot Sinai, uh, not only the harvest of the wheat, but now all of that comes back to paradise itself in God's original plan. Wow. The Holy Spirit is poured out and now paradise is restored. Uh, finally, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, unless people should be ignorant of the greatest of the mighty gift coming down to them, there sounded as it were a heavenly trumpet. For suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of the rushing of a mighty wind. Yeah, that's the sound of God walking in the garden in paradise, mm -hmm. signifying the presence of him who was to grant power to people to seize with violence the kingdom of God, that both their eyes might see the fiery tongues and their ears hear the sound. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, for the house became the vessel of the spiritual water. As the disciples sat within, the whole house was filled. Thus, they were entirely baptized according to the promise an invested soul and body with a divine garment of salvation. Look at that. Isn't that wow. St. Cyril of Jerusalem says on the day of Pentecost, the apostles were baptized by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, to be baptized means we plunged into fully wrapped up in filled within uh, it, it, what began on the day of the resurrection with the breathing of the spirit now comes full circle. Yeah. The fullness of the harvest and all of these beautiful images given to us, the fullness of all things now as the resurrection of Christ is applied to all of humanity. Yeah. Which is why I wanted to ask about the rest of Acts yes. chapter two, because it's like the, the reading here just kind of leaves you thinking that, well, they're just kind of amazed and a little confused that these guys can all speak their languages no, but there's but what a happens? lot more that happens after what happens? this. They stand up. They begin preaching the word. They quote Joel, which says that, uh, that wine is going to pour out over the hills and through the valleys. They're going to be filled with wine. That's what St. Peter says. Haven't you read the prophets? Mm. We're not drinking. We're not, we're not drunk. We're filled with the spirit of God as, the, as Joel prophesied. 
Yeah. So when you when you read that there in Acts chapter two, verse 17, go back to Joel chapter two, verse 28 through 32. That's what St. Peter's quoting. Yeah. And then what happens? They preach the good news of Christ, which is what? What's the good news of Christ right now? Love. Yes, that he's risen from the dead, which is the manifestation of that love, right? Sorry, it's, I'm so used to just answering every question of yours. Love. Thank you. Thank you. But it's true, right? Where, where, where God's life is shared with the beloved, then there is resurrection. Absolutely. Right? Death is yeah. cast out. That's the same reality. Yeah. They preach the resurrection. This is the good news. Death is destroyed. Death no longer has dominion over Christ. And therefore, death no longer has dominion over you. And then the, the people listening go, what are we going to do? We killed him. And then, but there's good news. What you did is not the last word because God's got the last word and he's risen from the dead. And then they say, again, what are we going to do? Is you better be baptized. 3,000, says 3,000 souls. Most, most likely, this is a counting of the men because that's how they did it. 3,000 men. If that is the counting, then you're, you're talking what? 10, 15,000 people. Yeah. Maybe 20. They weren't contracepting. Yeah, you know, women and children. Jerusalem converted, or I shouldn't say converted, Jerusalem accepted the Messiah on Pentecost Day. It says that many of the priests were obedient. Many. There's a mass Christianization that happened on that day. We, we think about Pentecost with like, you know, the 12 guys in the upper room and the little Holy Spirit, the little fire coming down like this. My brothers and sisters, you want to talk about Pentecost revival? Jerusalem was set on fire. You imagine going back to the upper room that day? Can you imagine going back there and saying, he said we we're going to go out to the whole world and baptize the whole world. He wasn't kidding. Look, I've baptized three people in a day. I've baptized and confirmed five, seven people in the day. I get home, I'm exhausted. 3,000? Wow. Whoa. And, and, the, and, and it, didn't, it didn't stop. So we, we have to reform uh, our minds of what, what it looked like in those early days in this pious little quiet upper room church where three or five 12 gathered together and break the bread and, and, and have mass that way. Forget about it. Christians everywhere immediately filled with the spirit of God, preaching the resurrection in every corner, everywhere they went. Amazing miracle. An incredible miracle. And you see all of these people from all of these different regions and they become one in the spirit, which is what we hear about in St. Paul's epistle. First Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there. First Corinthians chapter 12. Really, you got to go back here in first Corinthians to chapter 10. Mm -hmm. And then you can read chapter 10, um, 11 and 12. And they really are all one. You can kind of get distracted at 11 verse one and following regarding uh, 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 veils, which is a really, uh, but, but actually quite a beautiful teaching of St. Paul about women wearing veils it has everything to do with St. Paul's theology of baptism and our entrance into Christ. And therefore the putting on of the cover of Christ becoming one with him. So that there's one head and one body. Yeah. St. Paul's theology of veils in chapter 11 fits into his theology of baptism. But, uh, but nevertheless, here we are in chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters, chapter 12, starting in verse three and going through verse 13. Why don't we do that, Annie? Why don't we read the whole passage? And then I may, may just one last comment and we're going to call it good for the day. Okay. All right. That sounds great. So let's, let's, let's go to verse one, chapter 12, verse one, and we're going to read through verse 13. Okay. Here we go. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were heathen, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you may have been moved. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the spirit of God ever says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. 
and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are inspired by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And if you read through the rest of this chapter, he's going to talk, uh, speak about that passage we know so well. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the eye to the ear, and so forth. Talking about the body in real physical terms. And look at a body. Your body is created by God as revelation. Revelation of the supernatural body into which you are baptized, and that is the body of Christ. So if you want to understand how the church works, look at how God made your body so that you can come to understand through the material world, your body, the spiritual realities. How your body works is the same way that the, 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 the church works, yes? And that all comes to culmination here in verse 27. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, healers, helpers, administrators, speakers, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all run radio shows? Do all run the Institute of Catholic Culture? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And what is the higher gift? What is the highest gift of all, Annie? What is the highest love. gift of all? Is love. And it is love which time. is manifest in all of these many gifts. Yes? My brothers and sisters, you have the love of God within you. And that love was not meant for yourself, but for others, because it is the nature of love. You are by nature a lover, a divine lover. You are by nature, by the nature of your baptism, to be one who shares the spirit with those around you. And that spirit is shared according to the particular gift, according to who you are within the body. One is a hand, one is a foot, one is an eye, one is an ear. And I ask you, what are you? What gifts have you received such that through those gifts, you might bring the spirit to others. You see, most times Christians treat the church as something to which I go. But the church is not something to which I go. The church is something into which I live, into which I am, into which I become. So that when one sees a Christian, he sees God. When one hears you speak, he hears the Lord. When one receives the, the, uh, um, uh, the kindness of your touch, he receives the healing ministry of Christ himself. So I ask you what ministry in the body of Christ has God given you a part of? And if you say, I don't know Father Hezekiah, then guess what? It's time that you come to know. It's time that you begin to stop because you know what you do all day long? You discern God's gifts according to your job. What am I good at? That's the job I go get. What am I interested in? I become an engineer, right? What do you like to do? I go study nursing. That's what we spend all of our time in discernment on, isn't it? Mm -hmm. How we're going to make the almighty buck. Well, guess what? Maybe we should start to meditate upon consider 
our real retirement, not in this earth, but our eternal retirement, yeah, to which we're investing now with the spirit that has been given to us. God has chosen you to save souls. Are you placing yourself at his disposal? To Christ our God be glory both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.